an ironic media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K media.com. All right, today on the podcast, I have Karen Thomas, and she has been invited on because she had a near-death experience in 1982. Karen is so adorable and so open and so loving. Her story is so exceptional that it actually made into the exceptional archives at the nderf.org, which is an institute that studies near-death experiences. Not only does Karen share her amazing, life-changing story, she also gives us an inside look into what it's like to be an NDE-er. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I know you will too. So without further ado, here is Karen Thomas. Welcome to the Affiliate Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this podcast, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll get to witness healings as well as hear from my mentors, teachers, and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for the last 14 years. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. Today on the podcast, I have Karen Thomas, and she has been so lovely to share her time with us today to share with us about her NDE. It is one of the most compelling stories I've ever heard. And in fact, I'm not the only one. (laughs) So her story made it into the exceptional archives at the nderf.org, which is a uh, institute that studies near-death experiences. So welcome to the show, Karen. Oh, thank you very much. So glad to be here. So, Karen, when did your NDE happen? Um, Happened in July of 1982. And that was when I was um, actually 32 years old. So, long time ago. (laughs) Wow. So, what happened? Well, um, I had had an injury at work. I was a physical therapist at that time. And um, I injured my back, causing a ruptured disc. It was the second time I had had a ruptured disc in my back. Tried all sorts of things, conservative treatment, just wasn't working. So I ended up having to have surgery. And it was during the surgery that my near-death experience happened. So Um, what happened? Well, um, the surgeon thought that he was taking out a last piece of disc, but he actually had an instrument kind of like a tweezer. And instead of a, a piece of disc, he had the wall of my left common iliac artery. Mm. And so when he pulled it out, it tore a hole in that major artery. It's the second biggest artery in your body next to your aorta. And the size of the hole was about the size of the end of a cigarette. So it it was a huge hole and I bled out immediately on the operating room table. Wow. So what happened with your near-death experience? Like, what did you see? What did you feel? Well, I had was under anesthesia when this all took place, and so I was unconscious, and then suddenly I was fully conscious, but I was up in the corner of the operating room, way up near the ceiling, hmm. within inches of ceiling tiles, and I realized that there was a, a, a 
a tremendous ruckus going on. The surgeon was swearing. There were people, you know, the nurse was running out and going to get transfusion blood. And so it drew my attention back to the operating room table. And I realized that it was me that was on this table. And they were in the process of flipping me from stomach down where they had opened up my back over to face up. Hmm. Um, so I got, got to see my, my white bloodless looking face and realized this is so strange. I must be dead. And I immediately thought that. And right after that, my immediate thought was my husband, my kids, they're in a waiting room. My kids were only nine and six and my husband was there with them. So I wanted to try to go to them and somehow let them know that somehow I was still all right. As I thought that, I actually was able to drift out through the wall of the operating room and into the hallway that I had originally come down. Holy moly. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) really wild. And past other operating rooms because it was a, a major OR area where there were other operating room suites past those operating room suites and through a double door and out into another whole, you know, hallway in the hospital, thinking I was going to the waiting room where they were. But before that happened, I suddenly realized that I was, I, I heard this voice telling me within my head, telling me to pay attention to a man who had was rushing the opposite direction. And as I got that instruction to pay attention to him, I also could start hearing his thoughts. And his oh, thoughts wow. Where I have to get in there. I got, got to get there fast. And as I paid attention to him, I was able to like, as though I could, was up very close to him. I could look at his hair color and his eye color and the clothes that he was wearing. And it was like I zoomed in my attention on him. I paid attention to him. He was going back the direction I had come from to the operating room doors. And as he got to the double doors, another man was there and I heard his thoughts. And that man was thinking, what does this guy think he's doing? He's, you know, he's in a regular suit jacket and pants and he thinks he can go into the OR suite. He doesn't belong in there. So both of their thoughts I was hearing until those double doors opened up. And then the man I was supposed to pay attention to rushed through and then the doors closed. And as they did, I wasn't able to continue going any longer toward that waiting room. Mm. And I began being drawn upward as though I wasn't under my own volition anymore. I was Mm. being pulled and I went up through the ceiling um, above me into the floor above and all the way up through the floors of the hospital until I went up through the roof of the hospital. I was in Anchorage, Alaska, so there were mountains right behind where the hospital was, and I went up, continued going up until I was, you know, at like mountain level, and then began going horizontally. Um, (laughs) Where were you going? (laughs) Like drawn out toward the city, because the hospital sat kind of at, at the outskirts of the city, and I was drawn horizontally until I went over the whole city of Anchorage, and just as I was about to go out over the Matanuska Bay area, this whole dark cave-like tunnel opened up very dark, and I was drawn into that inside. Wow. So, so that was freaky and yeah. very, very dark, very dark. 
But as I got there, I started moving way faster. And way, way into the distance was just a tiny pinprick of light. And as I was going extremely fast through here, I realized that this light was getting bigger and bigger and bigger uh, until I just burst into the light itself. Hmm. Um, so <laughs> that was the that was the point where I came out into this area and I realized that it was arid and it was very brown and and rocky and bright 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 light. And so I looked down to thinking to look at my my feet and I saw no feet. Um, I felt as though I was still in a body of some kind, but there was nothing that I, that I could see. I saw no feet or anything. Hmm. And my my mind was saying, um, th- this doesn't seem like it's heaven. I mean, I thought yeah. if I was dead, I was going to be in heaven. And this is this brown, rocky area. And then the voice spoke to me again in my head and said, pay attention. And I looked off to my left and there was a man who was climbing up a slope. And then his voice, I heard in my head saying, follow me. And as soon as I heard that, I was like three feet behind him. Holy crap. Yeah. So did you, (laughs) were you a mountain climber or anything like that? Like, did you enjoy that kind of stuff? No. no, Okay. I I had no, I, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, we had done some hiking um, in, in Anchorage, my husband and the kids and I. And we had, there was a a small mountain that was near where we lived. And yeah, we had done that type of hiking. So yeah, I guess in a way we had, but anyway, I was examining him real, real closely because I thought, who is this? And, and I was only looking at his back because I was behind him as he was climbing and he had almost black hair and it was pulled back. It was long, pulled back and had, was, had a tie on it, like, like a ponytail type mm-hmm. of leather. And then what he had on was kind of like a tunic, um, like an off-white color, but only down as long as about the middle of his thighs, above his knees. Hmm. And and on his lower legs and feet, he had sandals, but the sandals crisscrossed, the leather crisscrossed up his calf and, hmm. and tied. So um, my first thought then was, well, this isn't Jesus, you know, because I thought if I'm in heaven, I'm I, whoever would be talking to me, who I'd be with would would be Jesus. Right. And, and so I said, well, definitely not. Don't know who this is. But I followed him up. And as we went up over the top of this incline and slope, the entire scenery changed completely. Hmm. And it became lush and green and a gorgeous meadow type area. That's when I began to realize that everything I was seeing that was alive, the grass and trees in the distance and flowers and everything all had light within them. Hmm. And they the, the light radiated out from them. Uh, so I was fascinated with it, didn't realize that the guy I was following had gone on ahead until he again said to me, follow me. And he was off. And immediately I was right behind him again. And where he was, was at the bank of a river. Hmm. And the river 
the water even seemed to be alive. I mean, everything was glistening and had light within it. And on the opposite bank of the river were my father and my brother, who, you know, had both died, aunts and uncles of mine that had died. Wow. Uh, there was even four people there, you know, it didn't look familiar to me, but I realized I knew that they were my four grandparents that had all died before I was born. Oh, wow. And there was just this huge feeling of homecoming, of reunion, of we love you. We're so happy that you're here. And you know, <laughs> you're like, and, where's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where is here? <laughs> but that was the first point where I felt like, well, I must be in heaven then because they're here and, right. and welcoming me. And they, it was just so beautiful. And I wanted to just get over that water into where they were. But my guide, who I'd been following, again said to me, no, you can't. Right now, we have somewhere else you need to go. Hmm. So I was so disappointed, but it was like I didn't really... I couldn't go where I wanted to go. I had to go where I was being led. So I Mm. followed him again and he went down around a a curve in the river and came into another hole opening. And in this opening, there was a a huge building that looked like it was Greek or Roman, Mm. um, like a, a temple. If you can imagine the types of temples they had in antiquity Mm -hmm. and very, very white, glistening white, pearlescent, iridescent, and huge line of of stairs going up and columns in front. And it was at that point when I saw other spiritual beings, and I could see them in the same way that I had seen my my father and brother and the relatives. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were like in small groups or coming down the the stairs of this building. Then my guide went up to the like a big double door entry into this building and again said to me, this is where we're going. Follow me. And the doors opened and we went inside and it inside. It was like an enormous library with tables down this long open room and beings that were at the table and on the sides and as far up as I could see were jam-packed with books and old-fashioned scrolls and Hmm. stories up, you know, on either side. And that was when my guide said, this is where the book of life is stored. I had heard the phrase from my church and from studying the Bible and stuff. But then he said, but this isn't where we're going. He said, (laughs) we're going to a keep, you know, keep following me, went down all the way through this room and into a smaller hallway area, and then into a separate small room. And once we went into this room, there was a a whole group of spiritual beings that were there, and they were like around an oval table type area. That is awesome. (laughs) I think I know who they were. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, my my immediate thought was, I know them, and they know me, but I couldn't place them like I could place my family members and knew that they were my family members. But still, I, I knew that they were they were there for me. And 
you know, they care deeply about me, just like the guide did. And so he said, this is where we're going to review your life. And (laughs) as, as they said it in the center of this oval area, it looked like almost like a glass bottom boat. If you've ever, have you ever been in a glass bottom boat? No, but I've seen, yeah, I know what it looks like. Where you can look through. Mm -hmm. And so it was like clear as though you could look through, but then it began to look like a hologram. And in the hologram was all these different events of my life up to that point. And as I watched them, I, I wasn't just watching them. I was reliving myself in all of these different things that had happened to me. But I was also reliving the person that I was interacting with. So I was able to be them and feel everything they were feeling because of what I was saying to them or what I was doing and wow. both both good and bad, you know. And, and was it simultaneously? Sim- simultaneously? Yeah, it was like, as I'm explaining it to you, you would think that this would be a long, drawn out, you know, one thing after and then after another because it was my whole life from my being a baby up through. 32. Yeah. Right. But it it wasn't. It was like it was all happening instantly. And I was re-experiencing everything instantly and comprehensively. That's so So, amazing. And it's so understandable because it's energy, right? You know, so you can go through it that fast. Um, And and the feelings. So you had that whole life review. What did you think about that aspect of it? Well, I felt bad in the areas where I could feel that somebody else was really hurt by mean things that I said and and that they carried that on like a ripple effect to other people. And so I felt I just regretted it, I guess, so much. But I didn't feel any judgment from anyone else, any of the spiritual beings that were there. Nobody was like, shame on you. You know, that was (laughs) terrible. It was like, okay, that is one of the aspects of what you experience. Mm. But these are the other things where your kindness and the things that you did to be especially nice to someone really touched them in ways that meant more to them than you realized. Mm. And that's what's so important. So it was a, a great feeling of being supported and loved and there for me to just simply absorb the entire experience and not blame myself or feel condemned in any way. So do you think those were your spirit guides that were hanging out there to, you know, everybody who was conspiring for your greatness during your earth time? I do. Um, in fact, I, I realized as this was going on and as I was feeling their support and stuff that they actually had been with me and helped me plan my life before I was born. Oh, that is exactly so, how I've always imagined it. That's so yeah. crazy. I've yeah. I've just known that that's the case. I, I tell people, it's like you sit down at a conference table and you have them all mm-hmm. around you. Yep. So yep. was God there or a God-like being um, as well? Not in that room, but the sense of God and immense love and peace and just the enormousness of that love and unexplainable peace was everywhere. It wasn't like God was at this point sitting at this table, mm. you know, and I, I sat before him. It was like God was within everything. 
that I was seeing within all of that light that was within flowers and trees and things and within all of the beings that I was, it, it was complete. He was, the creator was completely around and within everything. Makes a lot of and, sense. Yeah. And really in a, in a sense was that light that was so strong and bright. I think that light wasn't part of the essence of God and was just permeated everything and every, every one. So that was what, what happened there. And, and I was, I was given the thought you can stay or you can return to your life. You Mm. can choose. And at that point they said, but before you, you do decide, we want to show you what, what, will happen in your life and what may happen Hmm. in your life if you decide that you're going to go back and return to it. So at that point, they began to show me different future events, not for the world or for the country or anything, but just personal within my life. And and they made it clear that, you know, some of these are, are definite that we're showing you, but other things aren't because everyone has free will. Mm. And all of the people you interact with on earth have their own free will. And so though you may have planned and thought you wanted to do a certain thing that involves someone else, if their free will leads them to choose a totally different path, then that future event won't happen. But it's a possibility. It's a probability. Right. And so I was shown both of those things. Then uh, there's a gap in my memory. I don't know why, but I'm I'm sure something else happened that I wasn't allowed to remember Hmm. when I returned to my life. And then after the gap, the next thing that picks up that I remember is being with my guide in a totally separate small room. And he's saying to me, I want to show you what's happening in the hospital. Um, and so I then was able to see as though I was looking through, um, a clear glass where a ceiling should be into the waiting room where my husband and my two kids were, Mm. what I was being shown was the doctor who had operated on me standing in the doorway of the waiting room in his surgical garb. And my husband coming up to the door to talk to him and my kids behind him where there was a small couch in the in the waiting room. And he said, and I also want you to see this. And my guide then showed me like off to the side. And he said, this is the prayers of the people who you ask to pray for you about your surgery. And each one of the prayers was represented as though it were a musical note. I didn't hear vibration, but he told me that each prayer has its own unique vibration. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And each of these, you know, like musical notes you'd see on a score, each one was attaching one to another. Coming closer and closer upward toward where we were. And then he showed me that uh, my daughter was praying because she was so scared when the doctor came that she thought that the doctor had come to say that I had died. Mm. And so she prayed for me to live. And her prayer was the last prayer 
that linked on to all of these other prayers. And once that happened, I was filled with all of the emotion that I hadn't been feeling about my life that I had left. And so I was I was filled with feeling, oh, you know, how terrible for my husband and how terrible for these kids. And mm. they aren't going to have a mother if I don't decide to go back to my life. So all of that emotion that I hadn't actually been feeling poured into me and and made me choose that I would, you know, I had to go back to my life, even though I just surrounded with so much love and peace and and so happy and joyful where I was still it was more important for me to go back to my life and and to go on with it for the sake of not just myself and what I had planned, but also for my my children not to grow up without a mother and my husband and I to be able to be together. So I made that choice. And when I did, my guide said to me, you will have a sign that this act, you know, is completely true. What has happened to you? You will have proof, he said, but you you will be able to remember most of what happened, but there are some things that you won't be able to remember out of what we showed you of your future. Hmm. Because if we did, if we if you remembered the things about your future, it would taint your free will. And you would have in your mind that something is supposed to happen a certain way or you're supposed to do something a certain way. And so your choice your will no longer be free. And so we're going to erase those things from your memory that we showed you about your future. But you're still going to, to be able to confirm that this is completely true and valid. Once he said that, the next thing that I was aware of was waking up in the recovery room in oh, the wow. house. So it wasn't like the the trip there. I was very aware of everything that happened. The the return trip back into my life and into my body, I don't remember anything until I was waking up in in the recovery room and my husband and the kids were there. Wow. Holy moly. Thank you for sharing all of that. (laughs) Wow. So how did it feel to know all these things and they had no idea that you had gone through this. Like, what was that process like? Uh, yeah, that was that <laughs> was really strange. The whole waking up process even was strange because it was as though I had two different consciousness going on in my body and my mind at the same time. Hmm. One, I was fully aware of everything that had just happened with my near-death experience. But the other I guess you could say brain operated consciousness was very muddled and still sort of under anesthesia. And that brain consciousness was so muddled that I, I honestly looked at this big bulging stomach that I had under my, under my covers and thought, did I just have a baby? (laughs) I mean, I, I totally was muddled. I forgot all about my my back surgery. Didn't really know why I was there in the hospital. That part of my brain and consciousness. Well, at at the same time, this full, complete 3D version of my near-death experience was clear as a a bell. So um, I was filled with that same love and peace and joy 
as though it were filling up my whole body and in, and in a protective bubble around me. So my first thought was, wow, I've never felt anything like this before. I know this experience I just had is real because I'm still feeling that, that I felt when I was there. Wow. So that was mind boggling. And it took a while before I could tell my husband. Like how long? <laughs> I would have been uh, like, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it it took a while. I went from there. I had to be in ICU mm. uh, and for a number of days. And then I finally was moved out to a room, you know, a regular hospital room. And I think it was at least that long before I, I really felt that I could begin to talk about it. And what happened in the interim is I found out that the man in the hospital that I had to pay close attention to that was going back the direction that I had come out of the operating room suite, Mm -hmm. he was actually a surgeon who was called in to try to save my life. And the reason he was in just regular clothes is because he had been in his office seeing patients and they paged him from the hospital and said, we need you in here to see if there's any way to, you know, repair this artery and save this, save this woman. So that's who he was. And when he came in to follow up with me, I immediately recognized him that he was the guy that I had seen when I was essentially out of my body. Now, I, I did eventually get the courage to tell my husband about it. And I don't honestly think he fully grasped it. I think he kind of thought that maybe I thought something like that, but you know, that it wasn't really real. And right. And so I was really anxious to to prove it to him more than myself. I I knew. <laughs> I just knew. Yeah. Um, so I got to go to a, a follow up appointment with this surgeon that had saved my life. And I made up my mind, my husband was with me that day, I had, I had staples all the way from my my breastbone down to my pubic bone where they had opened totally opened me up to try to find the location of this bleed. So I had to have those staples removed after I had been discharged from the hospital, been home for a while. So my husband had to drive and all of that. And I wanted him to come in with me because I had made up my mind I was going to ask this surgeon about what I had seen him doing that day. You know, so I did. I told him, you know, I, I don't know what you're going to think about this, but I had this experience and and I I literally left my body. And when I got out into that part of the hospital, I saw you and this is what you were wearing and this is what you were doing. You were really on a trot headed toward those double doors into the OR. And he said, when I got to that point, he said, how could you know that? And I said, it was what I saw. And he said, yes, he said, that is what happened. And that's what I was wearing. I had been in my office seeing patients. And, you know, that's why I was was dressed like that. And that was pretty much all he said. And I didn't tell him about the whole rest of my experience. I just wanted him to confirm to me that what I saw actually happened. And Mm -hmm. also to confirm it to my husband. You know, so that he would know. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. What an incredible story. And I love the music notes. I, that's just so beautiful. I can't wait to tell my friend who studies prayer about that. 
That's so cool. I mean, there's so many studies that have been done about prayer and how it reaches the person and it can change the reality for that person. Um, yeah. you know, and to hear about it as music notes, which I've never heard before, is just uh, so beautiful and so easily seen, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and I've told this when I've told this before to other people, they have said, Oh, what did the sound of each of those notes? sound like you know what could you hear the words of what the person was praying is that what you heard and I said I don't remember hearing anything it was all a visual to me represented by written musical notes but I was told that each one had its own unique vibration and that that was true for all prayers that every prayer had its own unique vibration signature yeah that's so amazing um wow so how has your life changed because of that experience? Oh, it, it's changed tremendously in, in a lot of different ways. I was part of a, of a fairly fundamental type church before this all happened. And I found that when I returned to church, that anytime there was talk about, about punishment for sin or some individuals having to be saved and others not being saved and um, hell and any anything along those lines, it was almost as though I could, I felt as though fingernails were scraping on a chalkboard. It was mm. just, it totally didn't resonate with me anymore because my experience was that total, complete love and no element whatever of any sort of judgment and and so many parts of what I experienced weren't what I had been taught in terms of you know this is what is heaven is this is what it's not this is and even the whole concept of like the book of life within the bible it says if your name's not in the book of life then you're you know not able to enter heaven and my whole concept of the book of life became entirely different in that I began to realize that life is a continuum not contained completely with a single within a single human lifespan. Hmm. And so I, I came to understand and accept reincarnation and all of the concept that goes with that, which again was not in, in keeping with what I had known and felt before but I just knew as I began to learn more that what resonated as being correct and what wasn't and I so I I began to read there weren't that many books around about near-death experience back in 1982 so it was it was it was a process of finding things where I could learn more about people who had experienced the type of thing that I had and then learn more about the spirituality in general and the afterlife. And so, so many things changed. Many did. So you had said that you were a physical therapist, right? Yes. So when you were doing your life review, did you feel how you had helped those people? Yes. Yeah, I figured. Okay. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. That was really one of the really very pleasant things to see. And uh, it was a very life affirming because I was able to kind of see how they went on with their life, which as a therapist, 
your connection to a person ends after they are rehabilitated and they go on with their life and go into their own life. But in my life review, I was able to see that ripple effect of how that positive that I had been able to do carried forward with them and onto others within their life. So beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) So how else did your life change? Oh, how else? (laughs) Well, it was challenging in many ways because who I was before this happened and who I was after were very different. So people who had known me, my husband, my family members, there was a difference in me that left them feeling kind of as though they weren't really sure who who I was anymore. Mm -hmm. The whole thing of reintegrating into your life after an experience like that is difficult for the people around you to come to know, yes, you're still that person, but you have this, this additional element to you that you didn't have before. And you have these different reactions to things than you did before. So yeah, it it was difficult. (laughs) Over a long period of time, I stuffed it, you know, for a long time, because I really didn't know of other people that I could relate to what I've just related to you. And when I would try a few times, some people would just kind of go, whoa, you know, and okay, that's nice. And you knew they thought you were nuttier than a fruitcake. (laughs) (laughs) So you, you just begin kind of, you know, shutting it off and, and pushing away from stuff. And so it, it was that way for a long time until I really discovered IONS, International Association for Near-Death Studies, and the group meetings that they have. And I was able to actually go to one and, and meet other people who knew that I wasn't crazy and had, in fact, experienced very similar things. Wow. Now, it, so there was a lot that changed after that in terms of me being able to come out and verbally share my story, you know, through interviews like this and through IONS organization and through, I was asked to be part of a documentary called Back from the Light by right. and Robert Neal Marshall. So many things opened up that, you know, hadn't before. And I also, more than 30 years after all of this happened, became friends with a vascular surgeon. And he said, you should try to recontact the doctor who saved your life. And I said, oh, that was so long ago, you know. And and he said, believe me, he will remember you. Mm. And (laughs) so with his encouragement, I looked him up on the internet, found out he was still practicing in Anchorage um, and sent an email to him and said, here I am. I'm, I'm this person. I don't know if you even remember, or if you remember me saying that I had had a, an experience an out of body experience, but I wanted to thank you again. And I wanted, you know, that was kind of the gist of my email. Well, he did get back to me and he said, Oh, absolutely. I remember you. And he said, since you, I've had other patients who have shared with me that they had a near death experience during things that went wrong in surgery and stuff, but none with a story quite like yours. And, and he said, I do remember that you had seen me. And yes, I remember that I was at my office. I mean, he just kind of reconfirmed everything that way again. So that was really kind of nice. 
That's amazing. And he said that he had used the technique that he used for saving my life and repairing that artery, that he was the head of a surgery, you know, up there now, and that he had shared that technique and taught it to other surgeons so that they could use it to save other people. Wow. And that was amazing, too. Wow. Yeah. And so what were the repercussions physically uh, for you? What, did you heal after, you know, like? Um, I, I did heal. Um, I wasn't able to continue. Well, I was being told I, I should not continue to work as a physical therapist. So I had to reinvent who I was in terms of work and things like that. Um, I did try to go back to physical therapy a couple different times. And one time I injured my back again. And the other time I was doing hand therapy just strictly for hand and arm. And I injured, injured my thumb. So it just, you know, it wasn't working out. Right. <laughs> go back, which I really wanted to do. So that was another part of how everything changed. Hmm. Uh, with me not being able to continue being a therapist. The same time that that all happened up in Alaska, my husband was laid off from his job at the same time. And so we couldn't afford our home anymore. So we had to sell it and return back to where we had lived before. And we had nothing financially going on. And so we even had to live with his parents for a little while until we could get on our feet and I mean, there was a tremendous amount that we went through <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. So, yeah. wow. So, how are your kids um, as a result of this? Because I know you changed. So, have they become more spiritual? Have they become more open to the idea of um, the other side and everything that you've probably told them? I'm sure. My daughter always has been. She's been very spiritual. And my son is is kind of the opposite side of the coin. He is very, he's a business manager and his, his nature is different. But both of them do have that understanding of what, what took place and that it completely was real. And there were near-death experience researchers who uh, went into verifying my experience. And in doing that, they wanted to talk to everybody involved. So they talked to the surgeon in Alaska, and my daughter and my husband, and asked them to recreate what they remembered of the situation. So that was kind of interesting because my daughter was able to really relate back a lot of what took place. And my son, he was the six-year-old, he really had almost zero memory hmm. of any of, of what took place. So yes, they are it, it definitely impacted them. And of course, just the fact that I was able to be there and be part of their lives and get to see them grow up and have their own children and, and things like that, it's a blessing. So what would you say to people who are afraid to die? That there's really, there's, I can say there's no reason for you to be afraid to die. But my saying it and my telling what took place and what I know will take place for them I try to explain to them as best I can, but some people, it's enough for them to help overcome their fear of dying and other people, it isn't because it's not necessarily that they have personally experienced it. Hmm. I do think that a lot of watching many, many near-death experience videos and interviews like this, 
is really helpful for a lot of people in overcoming that. I know through the IONS organization, they tell us that it's like the benign virus in that the more you're exposed to hearing people near-death experiences, the more you within yourself begin to really grasp that you have no fear of death because there is definitely an afterlife and that it's beautiful and that it just really helps. It's like you catch this virus of afterlife and, and belief in it and understanding of it. And it's it's a tremendous benefit to a lot of people. I like the way you put that. I have never heard of it put like that. But yeah, more conditioning to it becomes easier to understand and and relate to it. So do you think, like, why do you think some people come back and have a memory of what happens and some people don't? That's, again, my own personal thing is that I believe that the people who have a near-death experience, that it's related to what they planned to have happen in their life. And that before they have their near-death experience, they have headed way off their course of what they had originally planned to do Hmm. within their life or experience within their life. And it's kind of like a course correction that takes place because it's really needed in those individual people's lives. Other people who don't have any memory of having had a near-death experience, I think it's because they didn't have one. They simply were resuscitated or were brought back to life, but they didn't need that course correction in their life. They didn't need that experience of the afterlife and the redirection to get back to what they were planning for their life because they were already on that path. And they just continue with it, with the experience of almost dying being a part of what they were supposed to experience in this lifetime, not the whole near-death experience. So are you saying that from your personal experience or because you've met, I mean, you've been for almost 40 years uh, meeting people and talking about this. Is that based on your experience working with people saying like, yeah, I was really off course and I'm really grateful for it because it opened up these things or I realized these things? Yes, it it is partly because of that. Because I think near-death experiences now have become so well-known in the general public that there are there literally are some people who have say a heart attack or something and they know that they were flatlined for a minute or two and they were brought back they say i don't remember anything except being un- unconscious does that mean that i'm not going to have a positive afterlife i i i i didn't have the near death experience is that what it means and i don't think it means that at all i think it's just simply that as I said, that it is a a spiritual experience needed for some people. And most of the people that I have met who have had near-death experiences, almost all of them have something in their life before the near-death experience that was really either traumatizing that they had to deal with and they hadn't up to that point, or just that they they were floundering and they felt like they had no direction or were, you know, very, very negative. They had something to be dealt with that the near-death experience really helped them to actually deal with. And so I do think that that's why I don't, I honestly don't think everyone who is resuscitated has a near-death experience. Some 
do and do not remember it for a long, long period afterwards. And then they do. But I don't think it's a a 100 percent everyone who you know was dead and then resuscitated had a near-death experience and they just for whatever reason don't remember it i don't know if that's confusing or not no 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 i hear what you're saying so um it's interesting because part of the podcast is about these dark nights that people have and you could imagine that a near-death experience would be a dark night and it could you know catapult you in a different direction and that's what it did for me and and the people that i have on the podcast um, have mm-hmm. all gone off more in a way that is in alignment with their purpose or what they're, they feel like they're here to do. Exactly. Uh, so how, how did yours change your path? Like, you know, you, how did a course correct for you? Do you think? Well, it led me in a totally different direction spiritually than where I had been. Um, it led me particularly not to be judgmental. Mm. Um, I had been before, and I had been very worried about members of my family, like my brother or or someone else, because I knew that they hadn't been deeply Christian, let's say. And so what I worried before was that that meant that they they wouldn't experience the afterlife or they would be punished in it. Mm. And so it totally flipped that for me, because I know everyone does experience the afterlife and the afterlife they experience is very, very positive and and loving and peaceful. And so that was a complete turnaround for me. And that also changed how I related to people. um, Because I think one of the one of the downfalls of some religious faiths is that they have this division of the make it and the not make it uh, (laughs) people, you know, And so because they have that firmly within them, they have a tendency to judge the not make it Mm -hmm. and and to to try to be manipulative with other people to try to steer them into what they see as the make it path. And so it turned me away from a, a lot of that mindset, which made me much more open and much more caring about helping people realize how to come in contact with their own spirituality and how to relate to God in a different way than perhaps they had. Wow. All of this is (laughs) so awesome. Um, Thank you for sharing all your different points of view around that and um, how you shifted and changed. And it is so sad that we judge other people, you know, it's, it's, it's really commonplace. And then when you think about it, you have all that love from God and, you know, your spirit team, however you want to refer to them. Mm -hmm. Um, They are there supporting us and, and are not judging what we're doing. Cause you know, honestly, earth school, that's what, you know, being here on earth is tough. And um, I like to just give everybody the benefit of the doubt and just say, I know that they're doing the best for what they can at the moment. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the most freeing things for me when I went through my dark night, you know, I came out the other side being like, you know what, enough's enough of this judgment. Oh, absolutely. And so many people need to hear that. They, I think people are so hard on themselves mm. and work from, from whatever foundation that that comes from that makes them be that down on themselves. They they have no idea how much God loves and treasures them. They just mm. don't realize it. And coming to realize that makes an entire difference all the way around. 
I'm curious. So when you saw your brother and your dad and then your other ancestors, how did they look to you? Do they look a particular way? Like, I don't want to plant anything in your head. <laughs> no, no. Um, it, it was startling in, in that they all looked young and healthy, you know, vibrant and healthy, as opposed to whatever age they had been when they actually died. Hmm. And like with my grandparents, I really hadn't seen pictures of them. So I had no idea what they looked like. But still, it was their their soul and their spirit within them that was connecting to me. Hmm. And, and what they looked like was just kind of, it, it didn't really matter that much to me. And yet it was recognizable. I guess that's the best way I can say it is they, right. they portrayed themselves as their healthiest version self. Yeah. You know, in this lifetime, they had had lived connected to me. And so that was that was how they looked. So who do you think the guy in the tunic with the sandals hiking in sandals? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Is that a story? <laughs> <laughs> you figured out who it was? Oh, I met him in no. person. Reincarnated no here. No now. way. <laughs> yes, way. How um, is that possible? Well, I had learned part of my growth since returning to my life was becoming very much into meditation and into consciousness awareness and attending consciousness conferences and things like that. So anyway, I was going to this conference and it was only a matter of a short time before I was going to attend it. And I meditated and in my meditation, and it wasn't the first time I've seen my guide from the NDE in meditation, but this time he appeared before me as he looked, had looked in the near-death experience. And he said, I am Carlos, and uh, you and I lived together thousands of years ago in South America. Hmm. And, you know, I had never gotten that type of a message from him before. And my first thought after that, and before I went to the consciousness conference was, well, thousands of years ago, I don't believe there were any Carloses in South America because <laughs> they came with the Spaniards, you know, which was right. not thousands of years ago. You know, so that was kind of muddling in my head. But anyway, went to this consciousness conference. And in between sessions, there was a woman who was speaking and there were three or four people who were with her out in the refreshments area. And I went, you know, was going to get some refreshment. And for some reason, I, my attention was drawn to her. So I kind of went over to the edge of the people who were listening to her. And she said that she was talking about how she was a healing touch practitioner and also an instructor, as not just practitioner, but instructor of others. And she had just returned from South America, where she had been teaching healing touch and visiting what she called sacred sites. And so she talked, was talking to the people about this. And I was like drawn over to her. And she said, you know, I, I met a young man there who was so kind. Uh, the driver fell through to go to this sacred site um, that I wanted to go to that day. And so he, as well as learning healing touch, was willing to drive me, you know, to this site. And uh, she said, so we got to go see it. Um, and it, she said, the sacred site is called Karal Supe. 
And she said it's like five or 6,000 years old in archaeological type place. And she said, he's just an amazing person. And I've invited him to come up here to Raleigh, North Carolina, to my holistic center to learn more about healing touch. And so she said, so next week, Carlos is coming. (laughs) And when she said that, I burst into tears this whole time. I was just feeling so filled with tension and, and this is something is happening here, you know. So when she saw me, she said, what's the matter? And I said, well, you don't realize, you know, I said, I've had a near-death experience. And and my guide during that experience, he appeared to me in, in my meditation and said that we had lived together thousands of years ago in South America. And he said his name was Carlos. She said, oh, well, she said, let me show you a picture of Carlos. I got him on the phone. So she pulled up her on the phone. She showed me the picture and he looked exactly like my guide from the near-death experience, except in modern clothes. And and she said, um, and let me show you where the sacred site that we went to. And when she showed me the pictures of Caral Supe, it looked exactly like where I came out into the light from the tunnel and the ground was all dry and rocky and arid looking. I said, and and in my near-death experience, when we went up over the slope, I said the the landscape was totally different. It was all lush and green. And she said, well, that's exactly what it's like. She said, it's (laughs) near the ocean. And she said, once you get out of the lower area where Caral Supe is and you come up over, she said, all the breezes from the ocean come in and it's all lush and green. Oh, wow. So she invited me to her holistic center and I got to meet Carlos and there was this immediate bond. And he said, I don't remember anything you're talking about in terms of this now near death experience. But he said, I just know what you're telling me is true. And so he so Carlos and I have been Facebook friends ever since. And now he lives in Peru. And um, (laughs) so. uh, That's amazing. Yeah. I do love those conferences. You wind up meeting such amazing people when you're there and and, um, some cool spiritual things happen. (laughs) Yeah. And this was this was definitely one of them. And and I even went back. It led me to have you heard of um, Michael Newton and Journey of Souls? Yes. So is that how you know Jennifer who referred you to me? Yes, it is. Uh, I figured, yeah. Because uh, Jennifer, I went to Jennifer for a between lives regression. Hmm. Um, And so, yeah, we met one another there and we, we, we connected immediately. There's another cool thing with her because she had lived in upstate New York and so had I. And I don't know even how we figured this out. She lived in the same very small town in upstate New York, where I lived right before I moved down here to North Carolina. And we got talking about me being a physical therapist. And all of a sudden, something clicked with me. And I said, I think you might have been one of my patients back then. When And I said, did you ever have anything hand therapy? Yes, I did. Where did you have the physical therapy? It was the same physical therapy department that I worked in, in the same years that I was able to be there. Um, wow. 
So we figured out that we had we had met then and then had reconnected now. Because she's also so, had an NDE. So yes, yes, yeah. and we got talking, and I introduced her to be able to go and and talk to the IONS group meeting, International Association for Near Death Studies meeting in the the Raleigh area, and so she was able to speak to them about how hypnotherapy can help you bring back memories of both past lives and between lives experiences. So that was really positive for her too. And she and I have remained, you know, good friends since. That's really cool. As Carlos and I have. Aww. (laughs) Um, so, So when you talk about that between lives, do you think that the between lives is that uh, round table where everybody's trying to figure out what you're going to do? And yeah, cool. She's shaking her head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Your soul group. group. That's what you call them. (laughs) Yeah. So, so man, I I would like to be a fly on the wall or be hanging out with all you guys um, when you get together, because you guys just all have seemed like such amazing people. So full of love and light and Mm -hmm. no judgment, like we talked about. And very much in the moment say, I love you because, you know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. So you guys, I'd love to hang out. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I, I might yeah. have had a near-death experience when I was a child. I, I was really small and I, I remember flying with the angels um, ah. and then having to come back, but that's all I remember. So I don't know that it would really count and I would be able to be let into your club. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. There are near-death experiences, and there are what's called spiritually transformative experiences. Yes, I've heard of them. And I think that some people try to categorize and put things into boxes so much, you know, that they say, well, let me see. If you were actually flatlined and had no heartbeat for three minutes and 25 seconds, then you qualify to be a near-death experiencer. And if you didn't, you know, well, it's not like that. It's a spiritual experience mm. that isn't tied to you have to be certifiably with a, <laughs> with a uh, some sort of a special stamp that says, yes, you were dead, you know, <laughs> to right. be a near-death experiencer. Many near-death experiencers are close to death but didn't die. Many of them were very emotionally close to being ready to give up and end and leave this life. And they had the experience, even though there wasn't anything clinically, medically that they could put their mark on and say, yep, that means I was dead. It's equally a transformative experience, Mm -hmm. whether you were clinically dead, provably dead, or you weren't. There is no barrier line. So you should look at anything that is on the IN site or the EMDR site and say, this is very similar to what I experienced. And it is the same type of a, that's why I say it's a spiritual experience. It's not just a physical medical experience. Well, thank you for sharing that and and explaining that. Uh, First of all, I definitely had a spiritually transformative experience, many of them. Um, But, um, and then that near-death experience, but what really brought to my attention that it probably did happen is the energetic signatures that you all seem to carry. You all are very similar and I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. She's shaking her head (laughs) Uh, for the listeners that don't see it on YouTube eventually. That yeah, so having you on the podcast has been amazing, and talking to you for over an hour now, I just oh. <laughs> so imp- I so appreciate it. You know, you sharing your experience, and 
and helping people to understand more about life in general, but also the afterlife. Yeah. And I do that with, I give out my um, email address and that is B-L-A-N-C-E-T-H at live, L-I-V-E dot com. Because sometimes when people see an, an interview of me like this, it rings a bell with something in their life that they are struggling with or or that they want just some feedback about. And if people email me and they say in the subject line, they say near-death experience interview or anything that relates to me, that that's why they're wanting to contact me. I generally have been able to respond to people and form some really pretty neat things that have come out of it. Oh, that's beautiful that you're helping people, you know, who've experienced this. I I can imagine how lonely it can feel for somebody who experiences it, who doesn't have other people or know about it. I remember when I first, I I say I came out, you know, like um, in terms of- That's a good uh, way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. When I I first started realizing that I could see energy, feel energy, know things that I generally shouldn't have known unless I had been tapped into something. um, Mm -hmm. I was really nervous to share that with people. And I really was grateful for my friend who said, you need to come over and, you know, hang out with us when we're talking about this stuff, because you'll learn a lot and take a look at these books and things like that. So it was helpful at the time. And it is so lonely until you get that. Yeah, it is. That's why, like that Journey of Souls book by Michael Newton, and Destiny of Souls, the next one after that, that really helped me because I was having even having trouble wrapping my brain around the fact that how could my spiritual guide from my near-death experience, be living a, a life as Carlos and not having any memory of being my spiritual guide. And and we, I even figured out when was he actually born here on earth. And he literally was born two years before I had my near-death experience. So that in itself was, I'm thinking everything linear and time-wise, right. which I should know better than. Right. You know, if, you know, because spiritually things time doesn't exist. Yeah, no time and space. Yeah. But reading that within the Michael Newton books, and finding that yes, your spiritual guide does on occasion, incarnate in the same lifetime that you are in and yet is the because you always leave a portion of your essence behind in the afterlife, whenever you incarnate, that allows them to still be a spiritual guide with that essence that's in the afterlife and live an incarnated life at the same time. And that, that explanation, I said, now I can wrap my head around it a little bit more. Right. Uh, But things like that and books like that, like your soul's contract with Robert Schwartz, which talks about how you plan your life and what things that happen in your life that seem so horribly bad, literally, can be something that you intended to have and to deal with in your life. And that it it isn't just for you, it's for the other people who are living that you interact with, that it all comes together for good, ultimately. Um, So a number of books have helped me a lot. That and learning meditation and what I've gained from my meditation. I don't have psychic abilities and that many people do have after a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. I don't tend to have that. On a few rare occasions, I've been able to see auras, people's auras, their energy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I have on occasion been able to have precognition of, of things that are to come, but not not at the level that I know a lot of other near-death experiencers do. And it sounds like that you do also. Yes. You know, what's interesting about that building that you described is um, I've learned that that's called the Cathedral of Souls. And you can go there for healing. And this, in my class, we talk about it having a fountain and you can go into the fountain and bathe in the waters that are really healing. And mm-hmm. um, I've seen those walls of books. And do you think those books were around um, karma and like somebody's each book was somebody's life? Um, I think each book or scroll was a lifetime that of right. someone of mm-hmm. some soul. And so therefore, like, if I were to go there after my life now, I would be able to pull out one book that would be my life as Karen. And then I'd be able to get another book or scroll that would give me that I would be able to examine in detail my life at another time frame in another life. So unlike what the Bible says that, you know, you're written in the book of life, or you don't make the cut. Um, it's, it's entirely different. It's the library. Some people also call it the area of Akashic Records. Right, right. Yeah, that's exactly. Yep. Yeah. But that's what I believe it to be. So, do you, okay, I have a question. Do you think anything else was happening in that building other than just um, these soul meetings? Yes, I do. What do you um, think was happening? Well, I think that is when you're in your between lives, you can go before a group of what they call the elders. And I think everyone does. And I don't know if you necessarily call them the elders, but in my uh, between lives regression that, you know, Jennifer and I did, I was able to go and see that again. And basically it's advanced masters, spirits who each have a certain category of spiritual development that they're, they're most in tune to. Uh, and they, it's where you do get feedback about the areas that you want to improve your spirituality in and kind of a, an instructional area. Yep. That's um, exactly what I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. You can go from room to room and pick up new skills and yep. um, hang with a master. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible <laughs> <laughs> that I've seen some of the things that you've seen, uh, mm-hmm. but I, only in meditation, yeah. you know, really wasn't my near death experience that gave me those things. And I was only six at the time. Um, uh-huh. For some reason, I remember eating a penny that was on the nightstand that was next to me. And I remember thinking, why are you doing this? But I was half asleep. And then I ate it. And then the next thing I know, I was with the angels and then I had to come back. And then I still don't know what happened to the penny. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be funny if they scanned my body and the penny was in there. <laughs> well, probably passed on through at some point and you I just so, totally missed that too. But <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It, it's possible. I've thought that and I've been told that I I may very well have had another near death experience and that was when I was very young also and I don't have any memory of it at all. I was born with um a congenital dislocated hip. And the back at that time, I was born in 1949. And back at that time, they really were just beginning to have treatment for that. And they often did not pick it up. If they didn't pick it up, a person would be crippled with it for life. And in my in my case, they didn't find it until I was a year and a half old. And I wasn't walking or walking properly. 
And so I had to be put into a body cast that was from my waist and down, spreading both legs out, like, you know, way out to the side. Oh, wow. And I had to stay in the casting. And they would change it periodically um, for another year and a half before I was able to be out of the cast. Oh, that's terrible. And so when the surgery was first done to relocate my hip and to put on the first initial cast and stuff, I was in the in the hospital and wasn't able to come home right away. And I think it may have been either during that surgery or right around the time of that surgery that I may have had a near-death experience, simply because of the kind of person that I, I was. After that, I was a kid that never seemed to fit in. And I was mm. just certain things about my personality that fit with early childhood near-death experiencers. And I met with a woman from France who works with near-death experience children and has also had a near-death experience herself. She worked with me and she said, oh, yeah, I think you absolutely did have a near-death experience at that time. So anyway, so I may have had another that I do not remember at all. I uh, remember as a child not fitting in and also wondering why everybody was so mean to each other and didn't yeah. make sense to me. And I, yeah. Did you ever feel like you just didn't fit with other kids? Oh like, yeah. You know, other kids wanted to play and they wanted to do all of this stuff. And I was like, why? You know, mm-hmm. I, did, I guess I just always felt like I was a grown up person in a little kid's body in some yep. ways. It was like when I was in fourth grade, I was reading at an eighth grade level and I, you know, I just didn't fit, <laughs> fit in that way. Yeah. So I understand what you mean. Somebody just asked me, how does it feel to be 40? And I said, I feel like I fit my body now. <laughs> like my body and my brain and my age all are the same. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always felt like I was 40 when I was a little kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it has been a pleasure to hang with you and, and ask you all oh, these yeah. questions. And You too. Um, you too. You're a beautiful soul. So thank you for sharing your story today on the podcast. Oh, thank you for hanging out with me for longer than we initially intended and everything. Well, my pleasure. It was great getting to talk with you. And we'll put your email address at the end of the show notes as well. Okay. All right. I'll have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. All content provided by Amy Stark and her, her guests on the Ophelia Podcast website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, were created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist. 